Hey, thank you for being with us this morning. It is so great to have all of our young people and our college students back. We're so blessed you guys are here. Listen, to catch everybody up, we have been going through what we call the IBC 260, which is where we all study the scripture from Genesis to Revelations, from January to January. And everything from our Sunday morning Sunday school, our life groups, our covenant groups, our personal Bible studies, and the sermons all work together for us to highlight in repetition, we're praying that the things that we're talking about stick to our brain. And so today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. Now this is a little bit of a snapshot on the Sermon on the Mount. And what's happening in this moment is Jesus has gathered his disciples around him. He is on a mountain. He is preaching. The Sermon on the Mount is almost the equivalent, almost the equivalent of Moses being on the mountain, getting the Ten Commandments and coming back down. That is just the severity and just the degree of importance of what Jesus is proclaiming. He starts to proclaim some very crazy things, some never heard before things, some life-changing, mind-blowing life altering situations are being proclaimed from this mount. And today we are going to dive into what being salt and what being light is. See, Jesus is talking to some ordinary disciples. And Jesus is saying, hey, listen, you are more than just a fisherman. You are more than just a slave under Roman oppression. You are more than just a Jew. Those who follow me have a new identity which is found in me and me alone. Let's jump in together in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. If you are The light of the world, a city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, but it gives light to all in the house. Verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. Now to first understand where we're going, obviously the two major nouns of this text, salt And we have light. Both very incredibly critical things. Now, the Romans at that time had a phrase, no udilis, sole, et sole, which means nothing is more useful than sun and salt. Even the pagans recognized the importance of these two materials that we're talking about today. And let's look at what was important, what was necessary about salt. First of all, we recognize that salt is a basic necessity of life. We have sodium in our system. The other day, I was listening to a speech given about health and wellness. And something interesting about this was that a guy said, listen, in order for you to really maintain and be at your peak performance, you need to ingest more salt than what you think you do because your body needs it more than you ever could realize. And what he also said was this. He said, if a sports drink actually contained the amount of salt that you needed to run and run effectively and efficiently, you wouldn't be able to drink it because how strong of the salt taste it would be. We need salt in our bodies just to live. But at the time, they recognized that salt had a few other purposes. One being salt is a preservative. We recognized at the time they didn't have refrigeration. Without refrigeration, salt was used to fight off decay. 
See, church, we recognize that in this world that we live in, our world is in decay. Our world is in a moral decline. And it has been that way, that way since the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve. We have continued down a slippery, slippery slope. But the Lord says this, you are to preserve. You are to come in and fight off the decay. You are supposed to make a difference where you are. Now, church, it's no denying that we live in a pretty crazy world. We live in a pretty messed up culture where people say that what's right is wrong and what's wrong is right. And there's so many gray areas. And we love to complain about how bad this world is. But can you just imagine for a minute how much worse the world would be if there weren't Christians inside of it at all? If there weren't churches that loved Jesus at all? If there weren't pastors preaching the gospel at all, if there weren't missionaries bringing the gospel at all. See, we love to complain about how messed up the world is, but can I go ahead and tell you that the world is in a much better shape than it could be because of the salt and light that is already present. Because we're already doing things as a Christian culture. We have been preserving this world. Not, I'm not going to say the best we can, but it would be so much worse if we weren't doing it at all. Not only does salt preserve, but salt, hmm, salt stings. Salt makes you aware of your flaws. Have you ever been swimming in a saltwater pool with any cut on your body whatsoever? My goodness, you recognize and you are utterly completely aware of every flaw on your body. Anytime there is any slight imperfection in your skin, the moment that salt touches it, you become aware. Listen, as Christians, we are also called to make people aware of their sin. Now, a lot of Christians do this in a horrible, hateful way. Let me tell you how we're supposed to do this. I truly believe that nobody becomes saved until they first recognize that they are lost. And I think it is important that Christians, we proclaim their desperate need of a Savior because of the sin in their life. I think it's important that we proclaim where their current destination is after death so that they can then make sure that they are going in the right direction. See, if somebody were, be to, were to be bitten by a poisonous snake in front of you today and they did not believe that it was a problem, I imagine you would get pretty fervent with them. I imagine that you would become a little audacious. I imagine that you would do whatever you needed to do to convince them that they needed to seek medical attention. And if they still refused, I imagine if you really cared about them, you would pick them up, shove them in your vehicle, and make your way to the ER, whether they believed you or not, because you recognized that they had a problem. As Christians, we recognize that the world is flawed. The world needs Jesus. The world is covered and enslaved and enchained by their sin. And because of that, we need to make them aware with love, out of love. Hear me. Don't go the wrong way with that. We make sure they're aware. But then another thing, and this is one of my favorites, salt flavors the food. In Job 6.6, 6, Job says, can that which is unsavory be eaten without salt. See, one of the things I think is one of the biggest sins of Christianity is we make Christianity in the Bible and Jesus seems so boring. We make him seem so 
dull. We make him seem so lame. And I just don't believe that following after Jesus is ever supposed to look like that. I don't believe that the Bible is boring. If you believe the Bible is boring, it's probably because you are boring. The Bible in itself is an exciting, incredible story of God's love for us and how we should be loving him in return. Hear me, when I look at the text, I see a life where we are called to be audacious for Jesus, a life full of excitement. And I see an exciting Savior that did some exciting things so that we could come to full faith and salvation in him. That's the Lord that we serve. When Christians walk into the room, we should make the room better. See, listen, I'll just be honest with you guys. Nobody here likes to talk about it, but we got a restaurant that is probably one of the best restaurants in the world, but nobody likes to talk about it. Waffle House. Okay, Waffle House is the bomb.com. I don't care who you are. It is rock solid, life changing. You can get, I'm just, y'all just bear with me. You can get your hash browns smothered, covered in chunk. Mm, slap your mom, it's so good. But here's what you gotta do. Like you better just go ahead and recognize you can't eat anything at Waffle House unless it has what? Salt. They'll put some on it for you, but you better go ahead and like throw about like half of the unit onto it because it is intense and you need it. Salt makes everything better. When Christians are in the room, the room should get better. The vibe of the room should get better. When you walk in because of who's in you, you should be a part of the solution rather than part of the problem. The gossip should decrease. The sin in the room should decrease because you are present. You are called to make a difference. When salt enters into a dish, it never leaves the dish the same. Do you feel me? When you put salt into the soup, the soup now becomes saltier. The soup becomes better. It has more flavor. And all too often, I think Christians are trying to be undercover. I think all too often, Christians are supposed to try to slide into that soup undetected. We don't want anybody to know we're even here. I mean, we're okay with being seen, but we really don't want to get into faith stuff because, man, it's just, that's just going to be awkward. What do you think you were created for? What do you think you were created to do? What do you think God saved you for so you could be quiet and sheepish about your salvation? Have you lost your mind? See, he picks things that are undeniable. He says, you are salt. Salt makes everything better. But after you eat salt, after you are around salt, what happens to you? It creates thirst. Every single time you go to a movie theater, you cannot get the popcorn without the Diet Coke Zero. It has to go together. Why is that? Because salt makes you thirsty. You have to have something to drink after having salt. And I believe this, when non-Christians encounter a true Christian living their salty life, in turn, they should desire a relationship with our Savior. It should make them thirsty for the gospel. It should make them thirsty for Jesus. It should help them to realize that they are missing something in their life, and Jesus is the only one that can fulfill it. But we got a couple problems with our salt. See, salt always has to be salty. See, this text later says that if salt isn't salty, you throw it out. Now, there's no such thing as unsalty salt. 
I did all of my research trying to figure out if there is a way chemically to make salt unsalty. There is not a way. Do you want to know what's possible, though? That you didn't have true salt to begin with. See, you can have salt that pretends to be salt but really isn't salt that can lose its saltiness. But true salt, real salt, can never not be salty. But here's what we can do to go unnoticed. We can dilute ourselves. See, the salt in our lives, what makes us salty is Jesus. And if we're a Christian, he's never fully going away. But here's what we can do. We can dilute ourselves with so much of the world that he becomes unnoticed. We can dilute ourselves with so much of the world that we, in turn, don't even seem to be all that salty because so much of the world is in us. Christians do this all too often. We are diluted. But then the other thing that Christians do, the other thing that we fall into so often is we're simply unused salt. Verse 13 says, you are the salt of the earth. But I heard a story this week about a man in an old, old grocery store, an old general store in the 1950s. And a man walked up and asked the clerk, do you sell salt? The man said, do we sell salt? Just look around. And the man showed the customer walls and shelves stocked with nothing but salt. Morton salt, iodized salt, kosher salt, sea salt, rock salt, garlic salt, seasoning salt, Epsom salt, every kind of salt imaginable. And the customer was amazed. And then the owner takes him back. He says, you think that's something? Come over here. He led the customer to a back room filled with shelves and bins and cartons and barrels and boxes of salt. And the customer thought, this is absolutely unreal. In which the owner replied, you truly haven't seen anything yet. And then he led the customer down some steps into a huge basement, five times as large as the previous room. And it was filled wall to wall, floor to ceiling with every imaginable form, size, shape of salt you could imagine. And the man looked at him and said, man, you must really sell some salt. In which the store owner replied, no, we don't. That's the problem. We never sell salt. But that salt salesman that comes by every week, boy, can he sell salt? (laughs) Here's the point. Salt that stays on the shelf doesn't do anyone any good. It must get out and it must be different. Jesus says that we are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underneath people's feet. Christians that don't be, that don't choose to live out their salty lives. Hear me, we are worthless in the eyes of the Lord. That is that lukewarm that he talks about wanting to spew out of his mouth because we're not serving the purpose that we were created to serve. Salt has to be salty. And if salt truly loses its saltiness completely, completely loses its effectiveness, hear me, it was never salt in the first place. Let's look at verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, I found this out this week from a guy that worked for the city. Did you know that Marshall is actually set on seven hills? Now, I find that significant because seven is actually a significant number in scripture. Seven hills. And did you know that Emmanuel is actually sitting on the top, on the pinnacle of one of those hills? I find that intriguing. I'm not saying any sort of crazy prophecy, but here's what I am saying. People are looking to us as Christians 
to us as a church to make a difference and to be a light to our community. Verse 16, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, verse 15, but on a stand and it gives light to all that are in the house. So it says, you are salt. And then it turns around and says, you are light. Now, where in the world are we getting this concept of light from? Well, in John 8, Jesus proclaims, I am the light of the world. 1 John 1, 5, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. John 1, 4, in Christ is life and the life is the light of men. James 1, 17, Jesus is the father of lights. Revelation 22, verses 4 through 5, here we go. We will see his face and his name will be on our foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. You see where the light comes from? Light comes from the Lord. We are light because he is light, and because he dwells within us, that's how we are the light of the world. Now, what is light good for? Well, explain that. Let me go ahead and tell you what my week looked like. First of all, I had the most East Texas redneck week you could ever imagine. Because of three things. Number one, I went shooting the other day. Now, let me just go ahead and tell you. East Texans, for all of you college students that are transfers, they're serious about guns. They just don't own guns. They own gun ranges. We went to a guy's house that didn't just have like a thousand guns. He had a gun range in his backyard. We were in tents. Number two. I went to a guy's house and helped him process his honey from all of the beehives that he had. So that was pretty exciting. But then number three, and this was life-changing, I went frog gigging. <laughs> guys, can I just go ahead and tell you, it is in my blood now. Like, I am a frog gigger. Like, is that even like a word? Can I be a gigger? Is that a thing? I don't know, but I'm a gigging machine, y'all. Can I just tell you, it is life-changing. Now, I see a lot of young ladies looking around at their boyfriends going, what in the world is he talking about? Let me explain. Here's how this works. First of all, you get a boat. And you go down a river or in a swamp or wherever frogs are. But we went down the uh, Sabine, all right? That's how they say it around here, the Sabine. Not Sabine, the Sabine. And we go down the Sabine, and you're on the front of this boat. You got a guy working the motor. You got a guy working a spotlight, and you're at night. And you're looking for these frogs. And as soon as you see these frogs, the guy on the motor steers it. And the guy with the light shines that light right on the frog's face. And then you lay over the front of the boat. That's my job. I'm the frog hunter, baby. And so I'm going to get a reality show. You heard of the bounty hunter? Frog hunter. Here's what's up. So I'm hanging on the front, and as soon as we get there, we just snag the sucker, right? And then they're massive, and then I'm not going to tell you what we do with them next because we might have some of those PETA people in here. No, I'm going to tell you anyway. I don't care if I make you mad. Then you take them, and you, you smack the back of their head on the boat, and, and uh, that's a cool noise. And then they're out of their misery, and then you can eat them. It's awesome. Like, I'm not going to tell. Like, they ate them. I, I, I don't know if I can do that yet. I'm, I'm not full redneck yet. I'm only half redneck, but I'm getting converted. But here's what I'm learning. There's a whole lot of ways to frog gig because I've done my research, okay? I started looking all over YouTube. You can do it without a boat. You can do it without a bunch of people, but there's one thing you can't do it without. You got to have the light. The spotlight is the most important 
thing because that light changes everything. That light gives you the ability to do what you absolutely had no chance of doing without it. Not only could you not see the frog, but the frog would see you before you saw him. And he would absolutely get away from you every time. But the light is blinding. The light changes the game. Hear me, light equals life. We recognize a world that has no light never would survive. No light equals no heat. No light equals no plants. No light equals no life. But what else does light do? Light exposes. Just like salt, light makes you aware of your faults. Light makes you aware of your flaws. God's word says that what is done in the dark will be brought into light one day. See, light lets us know where we truly and really stand. See, my wife didn't grow up in ministry. She didn't have a whole lot of experience about this, but pretty soon after we got married, I went ahead and let her know, like, hey, when we're hanging out with people that just meet us and they have no idea who we are or what we're all about, I'm just going to go ahead and warn you. They're going to act one way, but the moment they find out I'm a pastor and a Christian, everything changes. Everything changes. Every pastor can attest to this. As soon as they find out, they get uncomfortable. They feel awkward. They don't want to talk to you anymore. A lot of times they go back and they start to apologize for what they said before they knew that you were a pastor. (laughs) That happens a lot. Here's what's funny. It's not really because I'm a pastor it makes them uncomfortable. It's because of what a pastor represents. A pastor represents Christ. So do Christians. And I truly think that when we live like Christ has called us to live, there is going to be a little bit of healthy uncomfortableness for the lost around us. The lost are going to be a little uncomfortable. But you know what gets more uncomfortable around a Christian truly living like a Christian than a lost person? A Christian that's not acting like a Christian. Ooh, Can I go ahead and tell you, listen, we have a full room and that is awesome. Let me go ahead and tell you something. College, could you hear me? This is is so true. Every time somebody starts to stumble in their faith, every time somebody starts to stumble into sin, the very first thing that happens is they disappear from the church. They disappear from community. They disappear from accountability. That is how often we know that people are struggling with sin is because they come seclusive. They come reclusive. They hide away. They want to keep their sin private, but then also when you are in the light, you become so aware of your darkness. When you are around people living for Jesus, you become aware of how you're not. That's called accountability. Christians, we're called to live in accountability. Not only does light expose and light can be painful, but life also warns us. We have warning lights On a railway, we have lights that tell us that a train is coming. But not only that, light guides us. In Isaiah 42, 6, the prophet Isaiah says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. See, in the Exodus account, when God's people were traveling through the wilderness, God appeared as a pillar of fire to give them light through the wilderness. And the narrative of Christ's birth, what shows up but a light to guide them to the Savior. Light is guiding. So must we be as Christians. But light is meant to be seen. See, as Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount, I do not believe that Jesus said it monotone. I really don't. I believe that Jesus 
was excited. And I think Jesus was passionate. And I think when Jesus was saying these things, man, was he so excited to proclaim truth. And he was saying it so passionately so people would believe him and understand the seriousness of what he's saying. And he's saying, you cannot hide your light. You can't keep your light under wraps. You can't put it under a bushel. What he's really saying is the best word to interpret that is under a bucket. Now, why would you light a light and then put it under a bucket? Because you can't see the light that it's putting off. But also, what happens, for those of us smart people in here, what happens when you put a light under a bucket? Most often, the light goes out. Now, I'll be honest and tell you, I don't believe anywhere in Scripture it proclaims we can lose our salvation. I don't believe that, but here's what I do believe. I do believe that our effectiveness for the Lord can be so diminished. I think our effectiveness for the gospel can completely be diminished because we want to snuff out our light. Guess what? You will never be effective for Jesus unless you want to be. But being effective for Jesus always means that it will be a public sort of effectiveness. You cannot be effective for Jesus silently or quietly. A little boy was playing with a dog once, and it was a mutt. And a man came up and said, what kind of dog is that? The little boy said, oh, it's a, uh, it's a police dog. And with this, looking at this horrible mangy mud, he said, doesn't look like a police dog. With which the boy responded, that's because he's undercover. <laughs> Often Christians want to go undercover. We don't want to look like Christians. We don't want for people to think we're Christians because it's awkward. It's uncomfortable. It can be a little strange. It can be a little weird. Often Christians, we want to put ourselves in Christian bubbles to protect us so that we don't have this awkwardness so we can all meet and talk about all of our little Christian Bible studies. We can all talk about what we've been reading in our Bibles. We can all talk about our favorite new worship song, what Hillsong just came out with, and just reminisce about the old hymns and the good old days and when we all went to church every single day and how those great revivals were. And we love to have our great little Christian clubs where we talk about how great and awesome Jesus is. But guess what? If we keep the light and the salt to ourselves, we are absolutely being stupid because that's not how Christ called us to live. Christ didn't tell us to be salt and light for ourselves. You don't need a salt salt. You feel me? You don't need to put light on light. You don't need to do that. What do you need to do? You need to put salt on the earth. You need to put light into the darkness. And all too often, Christians, we focus on salting and lighting, other salt and other light. And I think it's important to disciple each other. Hear me correctly. But I do think we must understand that God calls us to be salt and light to the earth. One of my favorite things about light is it makes no excuses. Y'all, we're going to do something a little silly here. Fellas, can you just knock out all the lights for me? Somebody in the back, there's a light switch right there. Hit that light switch for me. Grab it for me. Here, here's what I want to do. Little experiment. When we hit all the lights we can, we knock all of these lights out. Hit it, Cameron. You can do it. It's a light switch. There you go. You found it. <laughs> Raise your hand if you can still see me. Okay, guess what? I can see every one of you. It's pretty easy for me to see every one of you. Now, funny thing, though. We did everything we could to get every light out of the room. But guess what? Light fights its way in. 
Light doesn't make excuses and say, well, they just don't really want me in there. No, light always gets in and does what light is supposed to do. Light always pushes out the darkness. And in this lost world, whether they like it or not, we are called to be light into this world. And no matter how many lights they try to turn off, no matter how many doors they try to shut, God always makes sure that there is a crack in the door for us to get through. God always makes sure that there is a window for us to shine through to them. They always need to recognize that Christ sent Christians to be the light and we must illuminate truth no matter what they do. Would y'all turn the lights back on for me? Now watch what happens. When light comes in, darkness didn't really have much of a choice, did it? Did darkness linger or did darkness flee in the presence of light? That's how powerful light is. See, darkness really isn't a thing. Do you know that? Like darkness really isn't a thing. Light is a thing. Darkness, all it is, is the absence of light. You want to know what hell is? Hell isn't a place where Satan is torturing people. Do you know that Satan's not even in hell? Satan's on this earth walking around seeking to kill and devour and destroy. You want to know what hell is, why hell's so miserable? It's not the presence of evil. It's the absence of light. Do you want to know why hell's a bad place? Because Jesus isn't there. That's why it's a bad place. See, recognize as we talk and we get into this concept of light and darkness, we are called to be light in the darkness, and we are so much more powerful than we recognize. Light always finds a way in. Salt has a purpose. Light has a purpose. Verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. See, here's what's funny. Most of my sermons only have about two to four points because I don't want to give you so much that you can't remember, that you can't take home. I wrote nine points for this sermon. Now, can I go ahead and throw this out to you? Do I believe that you can accomplish these things if you make a list and you really put your mind to it? I don't. You want to know the trick to following after Jesus and to being salt and light on the earth? It's not about making some list and going, you know what, am I being a preservative today? Nope, nope, nope. Am, am, I, being, am I being convicting today? Am I illuminating today? See, Christians, we make it so much about doing. But here's what I love. Jesus never said, well, this is good. Jesus never said to act like salt. Jesus never said to act like light. It never said to become light. It never said to become salt. It said, you are light. You are salt. When you were saved and Jesus came in you, you became his attributes. You are now light. You are now salt. Be who you are. Be who Christ created you to be. Do you want to know the secret to following after Jesus? We make it so difficult, but Jesus said himself that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. But we want to make it so hard because we want to make it all about this checklist of do this and do this and do this and don't do that. Here's what it is. You want to know the secret to it? Pursue Jesus. Pursue intimacy with the Lord. Pursue him in prayer. Pursue him in studying the word. Pursue him in hanging out with other believers. And when you pursue Jesus, you repel the world. You repel sin. You become a potent, salty, lighted Christian for the gospel. And the more that you hang out with Jesus, the more that you look like and act like him. We make it so hard. 
But hanging out with Jesus every day and making him a priority is how we start to look like Jesus naturally. See, we got so many Christians that are just trying to fake it till you make it. You were just trying to show up every day and put your best foot forward and try to be kind and try to act nice. And listen, I'm so sick of Christians wanting to raise good little boys and girls. It's dumb. You know, no, you know what we need to do? We need to teach our children. We need to ourselves be committed to not being good, but pursuing Jesus. When we pursue Jesus in prayer and in study and in worship and in communion with other believers, everything else happens naturally. The more that we hang out with Jesus, the more we look like Jesus. Listen, today, we've got some people here, and I can just imagine some of the junk I'm saying right now is just going way over your head because you're not connected to the source of salt and the source of light. Hear me today. If you have any questions about your faith, if you have any uncertainties about where you would go if you were to die tonight, where you would spend eternity, y'all be willing to talk to me. I'll be up in front. I'll be there after the service. Don't leave today without having a conversation with myself, one of my pastors, or one of the leaders here. Listen, Jesus Christ died for you so that you would be willing to live for him and all of the saltiness and all of the life that he's created you to be. You pray with me. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity we have to make much of you. God, we thank you for the opportunity we have to not act like soul, to not act like light, but just to be who we are. You, says we, you say that we are light. You say that we are salt. God, I pray that we will live out who you created us to be. God, I pray we won't overcomplicate things, but rather we will recognize that works come as we pursue your intimacy with you. Lord, I lift up this time of invitation. God, I pray you'll soften hearts and this will be a convicting moment where our people settle what they need to settle with you. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray.